Hi, and welcome back to Elevator Talk with Michelle. For the time that is ours to share, I want to talk about Freddy Krueger's backstory explained. Now, before I jump in, I just want to say thank you all so much for hanging in there with me this month. I know this month's podcast was just a little different than what I'm normally used to doing and what you're probably normally used to hearing from me, but I wanted to do something different since this is October the uh, month of Halloween, I wanted to do something different. And so I started out the month talking about the Michael Myers franchise, the, I'm sorry, the Michael Myers and Halloween franchise. And then I talked a little bit about the Friday the 13th backstory. And I'm gonna end up the month talking about Freddy Krueger because we couldn't leave him out, right? So let's jump right on in. So when Frederick Charles Kruger first got out of our dreams and into our cars in 1984 as a Halloween, I'm sorry, a nightmare on Elm Street, he was unlike anything that mainstream horror audience had witnessed before. He was mutilated, ruthless, and gleefully sadistic. Freddy had that movie monster, and I'm air quoting, it factor. He was intangible, he was aggressive, he was probably just a figment of your imagination. And in addition to all of that, he was lucrative to the tune of nearly half a billion dollars. His rise to fictional stardom brought in its wake an international merchandising, phenomenon selling everything from knife-fingered gloves, replicas to the, to, to, to the irreplaceable Freddy Fright Squirter, whatever that was, but almost all of the celebrity stuff we've lost sight of, I'm sorry, but amongst all of the celebrity stuff, air quoting again, we've lost sight of the most important questions. Questions like, who's the real Freddy? Why is he so angry? And most importantly, wouldn't it be easier to just hold one knife like a regular murderer? Seriously though, after decades of Freddy myths, it's easy to forget that where this killer came from, why he became so iconic, and what made him stand out from the rest of the slasher pack. So, the son of a hundred maniacs. So things were never going to be easy for Frederick Charles Kruger, as chronicled in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part Three, Dream Warriors. His mother, Amanda Kruger, was better known by her chosen name, Sister Mary Helena. She was a nun who worked at the halfway house, an asylum for the criminally deranged. A few days before Christmas in 1941, Amanda found herself the victim. She was locked inside the building when the guards went home for the long weekend, leaving the high security hospital unattended. As is customary during the holidays, by the time she was found, she'd suffered a series of horrendous attacks at the hands of the inmates and was pregnant with the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Nine months later, Freddie was born and he was adopted by an abusive alcoholic named Mr. Underwood, which followed was predictably sort of a huge nightmare. So let me put a pin right here. As we can see, 
Freddy Krueger was raised by an adoptive, abusive alcoholic, right? Let's go back to, I talked early on in the month about Michael Myers and his stepfather, I think was the one that, that raised him the most. I'm not quite sure where his biological father was, but if you remember, he was an alcoholic and he was abusive, both physically and verbally. So, Freddy Krueger's troubled childhood. So, understandably, Freddy was a troubled child. His father was drunk all the time and seemed to take a great deal of joy in beating him. At school, Freddy was taunted mercilessly for his heritage. He started to exhibit the telltale signs of a fictional serial killer, murdering the class hamster and getting a kick out of cutting himself with a straight razor. On one particular unfortunate day, Freddy could no longer put up with the abuse from his adoptive dad. So he jammed his razor blade deep into his father's eye socket. This is where the Springwood Slasher was born. Freddy's domestic bliss. So the events of Freddy's young adult life are murky and it's not clear whether or, or not he ever faced any legal consequences for the murders of Mr. Underwood. What is known is that by his mid-twenties, Fred Krueger was in the family way. He married a woman named Loretta, who gave birth to a daughter by the name of Catherine. Together, they lived what appeared to be a simple, happy life. Lying just beneath the surface, however, however, was a dark secret. See, Freddie, unable to stem his unique, quenchable bloodthirst, bloodlust, I'm sorry, had constructed a secret room in the family's suburban home. Inside, he kept a series of homemade weapons, newspaper clippings, and memorabilia from his, I'm air quoting, off-hours hobby, which was slaughtering the children of Springwood, Ohio, as the mysterious killer known as the Springwood Slasher. So marriage is if nothing else, based on trust. And the Kruger's home, the, the Kruger's home life hit a speed bump when his wife discovered his creepy man cave. Now you know what that meant. He had to kill his wife and he did it in front of their young daughter. So shortly after this, he was arrested for the murders of numerous local children and his daughter, Catherine, was put into foster care under a new name, Pitchforks and Torches. So the arrest and subsequent trial of Fred Krueger sparked an onslaught of heated tempers in the good folks of Springwood. The evidence condemning the Springwood slasher was damning and justice for the roughly two dozen children who died by his hand were on the line. Thanks to a misplaced signature and a drunken judge, Kruger was set free despite clearly being guilty. The parents of Springwood, however, were less than inclined to be okay with this. So the Springwood residents formed an old-fashioned vigilante mob. They trapped Kruger, soaked him in gasoline, and then set him on fire. As they watched the building burn to the ground, Kruger was being approached by dream demons. The supernatural entities offered him the opportunity to carry on his statistic ways indefinitely as their 
otherworldly antagonist agent. So Freddy Krueger's powers and abilities. Freddy's communion with the dream demons allowed him to have abilities well within the realm of, um, I am air quoting again, altogether Oki, first and foremost, Kruger became a denizen of the dream realm, a, a plane of existence where human subconscious thought takes place. So while there, he had the ability to manipulate reality and affect unconscious uh, humans, as long as he was still remembered and feared in the real world. Let me go back and say that again, because I think some of y'all missed it. He was in the dream world, uh, the dream realm, I'm sorry. It's a plane of existence where human subconscious thought takes place. So while there, he had the ability to manipulate reality and affect unconscious humans as long as he was still remembered and feared in the real world. So just remember that, keep that in mind. His control over the dream world seemed just about unlimited. He could change his shape, move objects telepathically, and warp the physical manifestations of dreamers. Any damage that Freddy caused in a dream also happened in the real world. So Freddy's weaknesses. Re-entering the physical plane leads to nothing but trouble for Mr. Kruger, who becomes susceptible to pain and even death when living in our world. In Freddy's Dead, the sixth film in the original franchise, in the original franchise, Freddy's estranged daughter manages to pull him back to the real world, leaving him vulnerable to being stabbed and blown up with a pipe bomb. In the meantime, life in the dream realm could be every bit as frustrating. Generally speaking, Freddy can only, hear me out, he can only consume the souls of the residents of Springwood, barring outside intervention. Even then, his powers only work when the good folks of Springwood harbor a healthy level of active fear regarding Elm Street's favorite burn victim. If nobody remembers Freddy, he is nothing more than a bad dream. That's why I asked you a little while ago to remember what I said. You, he could only affect the, the residents of Springwood, nobody else. That's why everything takes place in that setting. And he's only able to get to you if he's remembered. Because once people forget about him, then he's nothing more than just a bad dream. So in later entries in the series, Kruger specified that it was only, that it was only children's fear that gave him power, meaning that at any given time, he's just one generation of non-childhood ruining bedtime stories away from going softly into the good night. Freddy becomes a nightmare. So what happened to Freddy after making a deal with the dream demons? Well, 13 years after his unholy baptism by fire, Freddy made his first known appearance in the form we've all come to know and lose sleep over in a nightmare on Elm Street. With his bag of superpowers, he began to haunt the dreams of the children of Springwood, namely Tina Gray, Rod Lane, Glenn Lance and our hero, 
our hero, Nancy Thompson, with vengeance for his death and skullduggery. Y'all love that word. In his heart, he got down to, to the business of killing the young people. The first to go was Tina who started off the story proper with a bad dream about a disfigured claw hand man pursuing her through a boiler room. Tina made the age old mistake of being a sexually active teenager in a horror film and she paid for it. Freddie would go on to kill Rod, Tina's boyfriend, with a swift strangulation as well as Glenn, Nancy's boyfriend. Nancy, meanwhile, managed to beat back the killer using nothing but her wit and her will. Or did she? At the end of the film, she certainly seemed to get Dream murdered while Kruger played evil Knight Rider. So let's talk about Freddy's revenge. If the ending of A Nightmare on Elm Street was strange, the entirety of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's re revenge was on a whole different level. The rules that were in place in the first film sort of disappeared and Freddy became a less dream monster and for one brief entry in a franchise that would go on to span decades, a little more of an out and out metaphor for repressed homosexuality. That's interesting. I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but it, that I, hey, I didn't make this up. It really can't be stressed enough how particular the second interest, uh, in, entry in the series was. The main character, Jesse, was, was an adolescent boy who moved into Nancy's old house on Elm Street. Rather than haunting the boy's dreams, Kruger decided to possess him. He took over the boy's body and physically manifested in his burned up form. Dark forces eventually won the out and, I'm sorry, eventually won out and Freddy was sent back to the unconscious realm. So Freddy Krueger versus the Dream Warriors. After the weirdness of Freddy's revenge, Kruger was back to his old shenanigans in a Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Here we found out Freddy had been keeping busy since the sequel. All of the children from Elm Street had either been murdered or driven mad with the survivors living together in an asylum. Only there was a twist. The residents of the asylum were brought together by none other than Nancy Thompson from the first movie, now working in the hospital while researching dreams for graduate school. From there, a lot of information was presented quickly. One of the patients, young Kristen Parker, had the ability to pull other people into her dreams. In those dreams, the folks inside were granted superpowers. Freddy, it turned out, could be defeated if his bones were buried and sanctified, which was something the good old guys learned from the ghost of his dead mother. Freddy wound up down for the count thanks to a hasty burial and nobody ever heard from him again. Only they did. In about five more movies, depending on whether or not you count uh, New Nightmare, and we'll get to get to that in just a little bit, plus a cameo in a Jason film on a TV series, it gets sort of murky from here. So let's dive in. The Dream Master, The Dream Child, and Freddy's Dead. A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master saw Freddy's return as Nightmare on Elm Street sequels are, won't, I'm sorry, 
Let's remaster sequence. Okay. Here, he bounced back in a big way and put down all of those pesky kids from Dream Warriors. Here, he was taken down by Alice Johnson, a teenage, a teenager that was sleep, a teenage sleep messiah and dream master capable of manipulating good dreams the way Freddy controlled the bad dreams. But you can't keep a good son of a hundred maniacs down. And Freddy confusingly birthed himself from the spirit of his dead mother in the fifth film, The Dream Child. He then tried possessing Alex Johnson's unborn baby when he reverted back to infancy and was reabsorbed by his ghost mom. All of which brings us to Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare set years after the previous film in a future where Freddy finally achieved his goals. The movie takes place in a Springwood devoid of youth thanks to the knife-handed uh, maniac. By the time the credits rolled, Freddy was re reunited with his long-lost daughter who pulled him into the physical world and gave him a thorough stabbing, sending Kruger to hell once and for all. Well, kind of. The entity, these days, any broad friendly, I'm sorry, the any brand friendly fictional character worth his salt has been revamped, rebooted, and re-imaged at least half a dozen times. So Freddy Krueger managed to get a head start on the trend with the the decidedly bananas Wes Craven's new nightmare released in 1994 back when fourth walls were still considered to be generally load bearing new nightmare poise that an embodied embodiment of evil could be contained within the essence of a fictional character and that the concept of Freddy Krueger had become the home of one such entity. Within the film, this supernatural force broke free of the confines of the fictional world, wreaking havoc on the production of a proposed new nightmare on Elm Street entry and attacking the real world people involving, involved in creating the series, i.e. actress Heather Le uh, Lagenkamp and horror guru Wes Craven himself. So this new concept was a little less relatable than the relatively straightforward agent of ancient nightmare demons that audiences had become accustomed to. The movie tanked pretty hard at the box office when compared to other entries, but it got pretty decent reviews, scoring the highest Rotten Tomatoes rating since the original and arguably heralding other meta-horror narratives like The Cabin in the Woods and Scream. So the grudges. Mm. Freddy Krueger has a decent history of playing King of the Hill with other fictional freak shows. The most famous of these came in the form of 2003's Freddy vs. Jason, the critically panned but long-awaited answer to the question, what if we made a movie about Freddy fighting Jason, but we didn't try super hard? It was a pre-MCU cross-promotional extravaganza from the same era as Alien vs. Predator and Ballistic Eeks vs. Seaver, but it failed to recapture the special effects heavily monster on monster, beat-em-up spirit of classics like Kramer vs. Kramer. 
Luckily, enough for fans who felt like there was beef left unsquashed by the crossover. A sequel comic was released a few years later and it added, it added the one thing that can uh, mathematically only improve on a product sparked in liberally. Bruce Campbell, the 2007 miniseries Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, yes, Ash of Evil Dead is difficult not to love. Freddy Krueger gets remixed. The Nightmare on Elm Street reboot had all of the hallmarks of its time. Heavily color filtered, devoid of comic relief, and starring a lead actor who was probably too good for the material. It speaks the truth. Hey, it seemed to say to the world, what if Freddy Krueger, generally the only person in, the, in these movies who seems to be having a good time, because he actually was the only one having a good time, was just gross and creepy and looked like a ghoul from Fallout 3. And audiences, audiences responded with a mighty, who cares? The movie was a box office disappointment and it somehow managed to nab a lower Rotten Tomatoes score than the great American cash grab that was Freddy vs. Jason. Some things people didn't like were the unsettling nightmare sequences and the added terror factor of outright stating that Kruger was a child molester, which in essence he was not a detail that the earlier pictures skirted around. Less defensible points in the film were pretty much everything else. It failed so hard that it actually managed to push back a Child's Play reboot for almost another decade. Now you guys, I know I gave you a whole lot to take in, but in a nutshell, that is everything that you need to know about Freddy Krueger's backstory. Because I'm pretty sure, if you're like me, we watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street and probably most, I'm not gonna say I watched all, but most of the other movies in that franchise not really knowing the basic questions like what 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 caused him to be this way what happened to him and so forth and so on so hopefully this explained a lot for you all and if you're like me and you've always liked the nightmare nightmare on elm street franchise like i said i have not seen all of them i can be honest about that but i have seen the first few it's just an interesting story and i truly for me personally enjoyed enjoyed I'm sorry what did I just say enjoyed the Jason versus Freddy movie although it was a little far-fetched because if you thought about it Jason was I'm sorry Freddy Krueger lived in people's nightmares so you had to ask yourself how in the world do you bring something out of a nightmare to fight someone who was moving in the real world. But nonetheless, like I said, I enjoyed it. Obviously, a lot of people did not, and that's their choice because I can't make you like what you don't like. Anyway, thank you all so much for hanging in there with me for the month of October as we started off this month talking about Michael Myers and the Halloween franchise. And then I talked a little bit about the Friday the 13th franchise. And now I'm ending up this month talking about Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. This has been a great project. I wasn't quite sure if I was going to do it or not, but I said, you know what? I'm always giving you all motivational content, but I wanted to do something just a little bit different 
for the month of October since it is the Halloween month and talk about some of our favorite killer slash horror movies and these are ones that pretty much everybody has seen not saying that there aren't other great movies horror movies out there because they really are but I just chose to focus on these three and who knows next year I'll probably pick three more to talk about anyway if this is your first time listening to one of my podcasts I want to say welcome 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 so glad to have you here please be sure to come back next week where I will be talking about because we're moving into the Thanksgiving season it'll all of my podcasts for the month of of November and December will have a more seasonal tone to it and I'll just leave it at that if this is not your first rodeo welcome back I missed you guys so glad to have you back so glad you all could be here hopefully this is your first podcast if you that you've listened to this month please make sure you go back and listen to all the other ones where I talked about some great stuff this month because I don't want you to miss anything and you all know the drill you know my spiel I love each and every one of you to the moon and back and there is nothing and I mean absolutely nothing that you can do about it please be sure to subscribe and support my podcast your support is greatly appreciated and you can do so for as little as 99 cents a month this just helps me to do what I love doing anyway now go out there and be great because great is calling you and great is calling me until next week take care Hi, and welcome back to another Elevator Talk with Michelle. So for the time that is ours to share, I want to talk about the history of Thanksgiving. And as you all know, typically the month of November is when we really sit down and think about how thankful we are. And we thank God for all that he's done for us, all that he's doing, and all that he will do. Not to say that you shouldn't be thankful every day, because you certainly should, but specifically this month, I want all of us, myself included, but all of us to really sit down and think about how thankful we are. Because I, it doesn't matter, because y'all know I can't stand, I don't stand, I don't care, but I'm gonna say it this time. I don't care what you're going through, what you've been through, you have so much to be thankful for and if you don't believe me just sit down put your thinking cap on and really think about that so let's jump right on in the history of thanksgiving and so the word thanksgiving is a noun and it's the expression of gratitude especially to god thanksgiving day is an annual national holiday in the United States and Canada celebrating the harvest and other blessings of the past year. Americans generally believe that their Thanksgiving is modeled on a 1621 harvest fest shared by the English colonists, or I'm air quoting, pilgrims of Plymouth and the Wampanoag people. I hope I'm saying that right. The American holiday is particularly rich in legend and symbolism and the traditional fare of the Thanksgiving meal typically includes turkey, stuffing, potatoes, cranberries, and pumpkin pie. With respect to travel, the holiday is often the busiest day of the year as family members gather together. The Plymouth Thanksgiving began with a few colonists going out fowling, possibly for turkeys, but probably for the easier prey of geese and ducks. <clears throat> then the Wampanoag P 
people made a surprise appearance at the settlement's gate, more than likely unnerving the 50 or so colonists. However, over the next few days, the two groups socialized without incident. The Wampanoag people contributed venison to the fest, which included the fowl and probably fish, eel, shellfish, stews, vegetables, and beer. Since the Plymouth people, you know, they had few buildings and manufactured goods, most people had to eat outside while sitting on the ground or on barrels with plates on their laps. The men, they fired their guns, they ran races, they drank liquor, and all doing this while struggling to speak in broken English and Wampanoag, the, the Wampanoag language. This was a rather disorderly affair, as I'm pretty sure you can imagine, but it sealed a treaty between the two groups that lasted until King Philip's War, which was 1675 to 1676, in which thousands of colonists and thousands of Native Americans lost their lives. On the fourth Thursday of November, Many Americans gather around the table with their families and fill their plates with turkey, cranberry sauce, and stuffing. But why? Hmm. The New England colonists were accustomed to regularly celebrating Thanksgivings, which was days of prayer, thanking God for blessings such as military victory or the end of a drought. The U.S. Constitutional Congress proclaimed a national Thanksgiving upon the enactment of the Constitution. Yet after 1798, the new U.S. Congress left Thanksgiving declarations to the states to decide. Some objected to the national government's involvement in a religious observance. Southerners were slow to adopt the New England custom, and others took offense over the days being used to hold partisan speeches and parades. A national Thanksgiving Day seemed more like a lightning rod for controversy than a unifying force. Well, then Thanksgiving Day did not become an official holiday until Northerners dominated the federal government. While sectional tensions prevailed in the mid-19th century, the editor of the popular magazine, and I guess it's pronounced Godey's Ladies Book, I'm assuming that's how you say it, Sarah Josepha Hale campaigned for a national Thanksgiving Day to promote unity. She finally won the support of President Abraham Lincoln on October 3rd, 19, uh, 1863. During the Civil War, Lincoln proclaimed the National Day of Thanksgiving to be celebrated on Thursday, November the 26th. The holiday was annually proclaimed by every president thereafter, and the date chosen, with few exceptions, was the last Thursday in November. President Franklin Roosevelt, however, attempted to extend the Christmas shopping season, which generally begins with the Thanksgiving holiday, and to boost the economy by moving the date back a week to the third week in November. But not all states complied, and after joint resolution of Congress in 1941, Roosevelt issued a proclamation in 1942 designating the fourth Thursday in November as Thanksgiving. Now, this is not always going to be the last Thursday of the month because it just depends on how the weeks go. So as the country began, I'm sorry, became more urban and family members began to live further apart, Thanksgiving became a time to gather. The holiday moved away from its religious roots to allow immigrants of every background to participate in a common tradition. So Thanksgiving Day football games, beginning with Yale versus Princeton, that started in 1876 and enabled fans to add some rowdiness to the holiday. 
In the late 1800s, parades of costume revelers became common. In 1920, Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia staged a parade of about 50 people with Santa Claus at the rear of the procession. Since 1924, the annual Macy's Parade in New York City has continued the, tr the tradition with huge balloons since 1927. And let's just face it, who does not enjoy watching the Macy's Day Parade, okay? So days of Thanksgiving in Canada also originated in the colonial period arising from the same European traditions and gratitude for safe journeys, peace, and bountiful harvest. The earliest celebration was held in 1578 when an expedition led by Martin Fro Frobisher held a ceremony in present day. Now, I, I know I'm going to mess this word up. Nunavut to give thanks for the safety of its fleet. In 1879, Parliament established a national Thanksgiving Day on November the 6th. The date has varied over the years, and since 1957, Thanksgiving Day has been celebrated in Canada on the second Monday in October. So, hopefully something that I shared with you is not something that you already knew prior to us talking about this today because you know what it's always great to learn something new I don't know about you all but I just wanted to kind of give you a little backstory on why we celebrate Thanksgiving because yes family it, the food is great okay let's just be clear the food is always great to have and family is definitely always something that's great to have I don't know about you all but I enjoy my family and look forward to well really seeing them all the time not just for thanksgiving but that's so essential but but really and i don't know about you all but i know in my household before we eat we always i always end up praying my sister always says all right deacon go ahead and say the prayer so i always end up praying but we all go around and we talk about what we're thankful for now we don't go out and give a whole speech okay but, you know, you can name one or two things or whatever it is that's on your heart that you want to talk about that you are thankful for. And I think that is so important. So if you all don't do that in your household, I would encourage you to do that. Doesn't matter how many people you have for Thanksgiving dinner, just go around the room and, and name something that you're thankful for. And I think it's so important that we thank God for all, again, all that he's done, all he's doing, and all that he will do before we chow down on that food that's going to pack on some pounds. So that's all I have. If you're new to listening to my podcast, I want to say welcome. So glad to have you here. I put out a podcast every Saturday without fail so far. And this month actually marks my one-year anniversary for you know since I started my podcast so I'm super 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 excited and thankful for that and if this is not your first rodeo welcome back so glad to have you guys back with me make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of my podcasts again I put them out every Saturday and hopefully my, my goal is to enlighten you with new information I like to use themes since if you watched or listened to my podcast last month, you noticed that we talked about scary movies. This month, we're talking about being thankful. And of course, next month, we'll be talking about all things Christmas, you guys. Come on now. But otherwise, I love to motivate, encourage, and just bless people 
the only way I know how, and that's just speaking life into individuals. So please be sure to subscribe and support my podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated and you can do so for as little as 99 cents a month. This, this just allows me to continue to bring you all a great podcast every week. Other than that, you guys go out there and be great because great is calling you and great is calling me. Until next week, take care. Hi, and welcome to Elevator Talk with Michelle. For the time that is ours to share, I want to talk about how to show gratitude every day. I think this is so important, so let's jump right on in. So number one, set aside time every day to make a list of what you're thankful for. If you know me, then you know I'm always talking about getting out your journal and you should write down something that you are thankful for every day because guess what? Every day you have something to be thankful for and it doesn't even matter to me if every day you write down, I am thankful for God tapping me on my shoulder and waking me up this morning. I am thankful for God waking me up with a roof over my head and you weren't sleeping in a tent. I am thankful for God allowing me to have food in my refrigerator. I'm thankful that God woke me up in my right mind with activity in my limbs. If you write the same thing every day, it doesn't matter because that's what you are thankful for. But I'm sure you have other things that you're thankful for. But those are just some examples. So even if you only have one thing a day to write down, that's fine. Doing this will allow you to be able to go back and fill yourself up on those days when you feel empty or you just need an excuse to smile. Anne Voskamp says it best. She says, when I give thanks for the seemingly microscopic, I make a place for God to grow within me. Y'all, that's powerful. I don't know about you, but that is powerful. And every now and then you have to go back and, and go through your journal and read the things that you think that you have been thankful for in the past because life can get heavy sometimes. I don't know about you all, but I have a a YouTube channel and every now and then I have to go back and listen to my own videos to inspire me. Yes, I know you're thinking, Michelle, not you. Yes, I do. Every now and then I have to go back and listen to my own podcast to get inspiration because like I said, life gets heavy, but this is why you write down what you're thankful for now so when times get rough you can go back and remember what God has already done for you number two I said learn to say thank you we all need to remember to say thank you when someone does something kind for us and it doesn't have to be anything big doesn't matter how big small in between it is learn to just say thankful thank you you know it amazes me If I hold the door open for someone and they just walk on in, don't say thank you, just walk in and keep going. Like I had to stand there and hold the door open for them. And it's not beyond me to say, oh, you're welcome. And usually people will turn around and look like, huh, I didn't say anything. Yeah, you're welcome. And some people get in their feelings and others go, you know what, I am so sorry. Thank you so much. My mind is on something else or somewhere else. And I get that because we all get caught up. But we need to learn to say thank you. If somebody lets you over because you have your blinker on or if you don't have your blinker on and you're trying to get over and that car lets you over, stick your hand out the window and just wave to say thank you. I think it's the polite thing to do, but a lot of people don't. So I want you starting this month to be more conscious about saying 
thank you. Number three, never allow other people's bitterness or negativity influence your inner peace. Can I say that one more time? Never, ever, ever, ever allow other people's bitterness and negativity influence your inner peace. One thing's for certain and two things for sure. You will not disrupt my inner peace. It doesn't matter how much of a fool you choose to act. It doesn't matter what you say about me. Just don't put your hands on me because I told y'all I have a t-shirt. It says, holy enough to pray for you, hood enough to swing on you. So don't put your hands on me. Otherwise, you cannot disturb my inner peace. I am too thankful. God has done too much for me to allow anybody to come into my life and interrupt my inner peace. It's not happening. So look for the best in everybody. Make sure you believe they have good in them no matter what. Let me let you in on a little secret. I know everybody's not likable and everybody's not lovable, but I choose to see the good in everybody. It doesn't matter how much of an ass clown you are. There's some good somewhere. And I know some people, I'm not going to name any names, but I know some people that on the surface, they can ruffle your feathers with the stuff that comes out of their mouth. But, but deep down under all of that other stuff, they really do have a good heart. And I've seen them do some good things for people that were in need. But it's all that surface stuff that if you're not careful, it can disrupt your inner peace. But I just refuse to allow that to happen. But I'm just saying, no matter who it is, family, friend or foe, always, always try to see the good and everybody because everybody has some good in them it may have got lost in translation i.e the way they act but there's good there's some good in everybody even that person that's on death row right now for killing someone somewhere deep down inside of all of that ugliness and that evilness and that hatred there's some good somewhere in there you may have to look real deep but it's in there somewhere number four anger Disappointment, failure, and frustration are parts of life, but don't let them become your default emotions. Oh, that's powerful. Don't be complacent and resign yourself to victimhood. When you choose to live from a place of gratitude, it will bring peace into your life. And I'm going to tell you right now, I refuse to have anything but peace in my life. I just refuse to. That's the way I choose to live my life. I'm not saying you have to. You might want to consider it, but I just choose to live with peace in my life. I refuse to let anger and disappointment and failure and frustration have a leading role in my life. Do we all go through these things? Of course we do, but that does, it's not going to have a leading role in my life. You know why? Because I will have peace. Now, I'm not like Medea who keeps her a piece of steel, okay? But I will have peace in my life. It's just that simple. So no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you're not going to disrupt that peace. And when you can hold your head up high, when people make decisions that affect you, honey, that means your peace is not disrupted. You just said, okay, you know, you made a decision. That's all fine and good. But I'm going to be all right because I serve a God that sits high and looks low. I serve a God that will look beyond my fault and see my needs. 
So I don't have to get all ugly with you. I don't have to, to get frustrated and all that other good stuff. No, I'm not going to let that bother me. God will, God will take care of me. He always has and he always will. Let me move on. Number five, build gratitude around you. You can do this with small, daily, unexpected, undeserved acts of love, compassion, grace, and forgiveness. You know, I, someone posted something on Facebook a few weeks ago, and I think the question was, what are you known for? And my response was being able to give to people who cannot give anything to me in return. And someone said, you really should stop doing that. And I said, no, maybe I wasn't clear. I'm talking about blessing people. See, I'm, I'm grateful for all that God has done for me and all that he's doing for me, all that he will do for me. So that, that, that grace and that mercy allows me to give to people that can't bless me in return because they have nothing to offer me. But a thank you. And that's all right, too. You know why? Because, again, I serve a God that sits high and looks low. And he says, Michelle, you know what? I saw what you did for that person. That person can't do anything for you. They have nothing to give you. And yet you still bless them anyway. And it's not always about just handing money to people. Sometimes it's, it's, it's giving a kind word. If you, if you can... Not me, because, you know, we're still in the midst of this COVID situation, but just giving somebody a hug, just listening to their story. And so I, I love the fact that I can do small things daily for people that can't do anything for me. And it's all right. Yeah, let me move on. Number six, keep a gratitude journal. Establish a daily practice of being thankful for your gifts and God's grace that is given to you daily. Set aside time every day to recall. Let me go back. Set aside time. I said every day. I didn't say every other day. I didn't say once a week. I didn't say once a month or once a year. I said set aside time every day to recall moments of gratitude associated with ordinary events, your personal attributes, or the people you value in your life. Doing this gives you the potential to interweave a sustainable life theme of gratefulness. Like I said, honey, let me tell you something. If I had to sit down right now with pen and paper and write out all the things that I am grateful for, I would need probably a whole ream of paper just to do that. Because I'm thankful that God has placed so many people in my life that just this year have truly blessed me. My family, friends, friends that I just met. Well, we've been friends on Facebook, but gotten to know each other over the last few months. And, you know, I'm thankful that I have a coach that sees, actually I have two different coaches that sees so much value and potential in me. Like I said, if I had to sit down and write out everything I'm thankful for, honey, I would need a whole ream of paper to do that because I'm thankful for so many things. Let me do a quick recap and I promise I'll let you be. So today I talked about how to show gratitude every day. And number one, I said set aside time every day to make a list of what you're thankful for. Number two, I said learn to say thank you. And that's simple, y'all. Two words. Two, two simple words. Thank you. Then number three, I said never allow other people's bitterness or negativity influence your inner peace. Don't don't you let them do that. 
Number four, anger, disappointment, failure, and frustration are parts of life, but don't let them become your default emotions. That means that's the, those are the things you jump to immediately when life gets difficult, life gets hard, it doesn't go the way you wanted it to, or somebody does something to you. Number five, I said build gratitude around you. And you can do this in small, daily, unexpected, undeserving uh, I'm sorry, do this with small, daily, unexpected, undeserving acts of love, compassion, grace, and forgiveness. It could be purchasing the meal of the person in the car behind you. It could be going into Starbucks and someone's ordering a, a coffee or a tea or whatever it is they drink. And you say, hey, you know what? Can you do me a favor? I want to purchase this person's drink. But can you add on a, whatever your drink is? And they're going to give you that look like, what the what? And, and you say, you know what? I just want to bless you. Hopefully they'll say thank you. They should. But, you know, hopefully they're going to say thank you. And that's a great act of kindness. It could be something simple as forgiving somebody for something they said to you or did to you. So I don't hold grudges. I, I truly don't. Life is too short for me to walk around holding grudges. I learned that a long time ago. And not only that, when you hold grudges against people, all you're doing is just shortening your own life, really, because they've gone on. They probably aren't even thinking about you. And you sitting there fuming over something they said or did. Let that stuff go, y'all. So forgive somebody. I always say when you forgive people, it's not, you're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you so that you can free yourself of whatever that thing is. And you can move on and live a happy, fulfilled life. And not walk around all mean face looking like your underwear are two sizes too small or something. Let that stuff go, honey. And live life to the fullest. And then number six, I talked about keeping your gratitude journal. And this journal is something you need to open up every day. I get it. Sometimes things happen. You may not be able to go to it. But as soon as you can, get in there and start writing in that journal. That's all I have, you guys. If you're new to my podcast, I want to say welcome. So glad to have you here. I put out a podcast every Saturday. So make sure you check back next week to see what we have to talk about as it relates to Thanksgiving. And I'm so glad to have you here. So thankful that you stopped by just to listen to what I had to say. If this is not your first rodeo, welcome back. So glad to have you back. I missed you guys. Listen, I need you all to go out there and continue to be thankful for everything that you have, everything that you are, and everything that you will become. Doesn't matter where you are, just be thankful for it. And know that God has got something better and bigger for you. You know, as I think about it, I put a post on Facebook a few weeks back and I think it said something like when God places a Goliath in your life or giant in your life, I'm sorry, uh, when he places a giant in your life, he must have a Goliath waiting there to to take care of that that giant you all know the story in the bible and if you don't know then i suggest you go look that up but 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 yeah i'm trying to tell y'all greater things are coming greater things are coming and i just need you all to get out there live life to the fullest continue to pray continue to be grateful for all that you what for all that god has done for you all that you have, all that you are, and all that you will become. Because I promise you, better things are coming. So I just found that, and then the post says, if God puts a Goliath in front of you, 
He must believe there's a David inside of you. Oh, my goodness. And again, if you don't know that story, you need to pull out your Bibles, get in your word and read how David defeated the uh, th that that uh, Goliath, because that's an awesome story. So having said that, please be sure to subscribe and support my podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated and you can do so for as little as 99 cents a month. You guys, this just helps me to continue doing what I love doing. But either way, I want you to come back next week and check out the next podcast. Go out there and be great because great is calling you and great is calling me. Until next time, take care. Hi, and welcome back to another Elevator Talk with Michelle. For the time that is ours to share, I want to talk about 12 classic Thanksgiving food items that are a must. Okay. When I say they are a must, honey, they are a, an absolute must. You are not having Thanksgiving if you don't have these things on your plate. So let's jump right on in. Planning a Thanksgiving menu is serious work. The expectations are high. And while there's plenty of room to mix and match, there are certain classic Thanksgiving dishes that are a must to have on your table. So let's jump right on in. Number one is turkey. The turkey can be roasted or it can be fried, but most people are looking for a turkey on the table, okay? I remember growing up and we always had a beautiful roasted turkey and my mom would put all the, the garnishing around it. And I mean, it was just, just such a festive thing that I like looking at the turkey more than eating it to be honest with you because I'm not really a big turkey fan and if I do have turkey I prefer to have the leg not the breast because the breast tends to be a little too dry for me but turkey is the main dish for Thanksgiving feast no matter what you choose to make the key to six to a successful dinner is having a turkey large enough to feed everybody and to have leftovers for yourself because I don't know about you all honey but you take that turkey and you break it down and make you some turkey salad it is some kind of good number two a ham not all households are fans of turkey for their Thanksgiving dinner many choose to have a flavorful ham instead now me personally again like I said I'm not a huge fan of turkey but I will eat some ham in a minute okay Number three, stuffing and dressing. So stuffing and dressing are alike, but not the same. The main difference is that stuffing is cooked inside of the turkey and dressing is cooked and served separately. But this distinction is less strict nowadays with so many people having different preferences. And I don't know about you all, but I remember back in the day when my mom would take the stuffing and put it inside the turkey and, and it was cooked inside of there. But of course, you know, over the years, we've heard it's not really safe to do that. And so we began many years ago having this, the, the stuffing uh, or the dressing, whatever you want to call it, cooked in the pan on the stove and served separately. Number four, mashed potatoes and gravy. Mashed potatoes and gravy are one of most people's favorite combinations on Thanksgiving plates. Now, let me tell you a little secret. I'm not a gravy lover at all. So when people tell me they're eating anything smothered in gravy, if you all could see the look on my face right now, you would understand how I feel about that. So I will have me some mashed potatoes, love mashed potatoes, however, because do not, and I repeat, do not put gravy on my mashed potatoes. But for those of you that like mashed potatoes and gravy, do you. 
Number five, turkey gravy. For many people, the gravy is as important as a turkey. And I just said that. For some people, they're not having turkey without gravy on it. I just happen to not necessarily be a gravy person. But if you are, some people make their gravy from scratch. And some people use gravy out of the can. Whatever you use, if you like it, then in the famous words of my Aunt Anne, I love it. Number six, cranberry sauce. Oh, honey, I couldn't wait to get to this one. Cranberry sauce has a lot of variations and can easily take on citrus flavoring, you can add liqueur to it or spices without losing its character. Now, I don't know about you all. Now, I don't drink, so I don't add liquor to any of my food items. I just don't. But if you choose to, then that's great. However, let me tell y'all this. When I tell you I love cranberry sauce, I love cranberry sauce and I eat it all year long. And some people are like, Michelle, are you serious? Like, who does that? And I have to tell people I do. I love nobody said the cranberry sauce was only reserved for Thanksgiving. Hence the reason why you can go to the grocery store all year long and purchase a can of cranberry sauce because they sell it all year long. I will open up a can of cranberry sauce and cut off a, a couple little slices. I'll have it with my breakfast. I made to have may decide to have it with lunch and I made to have decide to have it with dinner. But guess what? I've had times where I just opened up a can of cranberry sauce, cut it in half, and eat half of it today and maybe the other half of it tomorrow and that's just by itself i'm not eating it with anything else because i love cranberry sauce now i'm not really not really a big fan a fan of the you know how you take i don't know if you all have ever had cranberry sauce where they take the cranberries and mash them up or i guess you boil them and mash them up or something like that. No, give me the gelled kind in the can that you open up that lid and you slide it out and it's in one little log. Yeah, give me that. The other cranberry sauce, I don't really care for that because it has a little bitter taste to it to me. It's okay, but I, I don't prefer that one. Let me move on. Number seven, sweet potatoes and yams. So sweet potatoes and yams are mistakenly thought of as the same thing. Despite both being root vegetables, they are not the same, you guys, nor are the flavor and the texture they, br they bring to your holiday table. Both are a must to have on Thanksgiving, but many families have a favorite. So as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter whether sweet potatoes or yams, I like them both. So it doesn't really matter to me. Number eight, vegetable size cooked vegetable sides. The vegetable size that you choose will depend on what you and your family like best. There's no right or wrong choices. I love corn. I love string beans. I love mixed vegetables. It just depends on what you decide that you want. Number nine, salads. Salads have taken over holiday tables and the options are so numerous and flavorful that it's hard to pick a few that best complement your dinner choices. I love a, I love Caesar salad. I also love the kale salad. I don't know if you all have ever seen the kale salad that comes in a bag and has a little packet with the dressing in it. It has some cranberries, some sunflower seeds, and I think cheese or something else in it. Love that. Okay, and we get it from Wegmans grocery store. Depending on where you live, you may or may not have a Wegmans, and you may have it in the grocery store where you live. But the salad that you choose to have is going to depend on you. Some people may not have salads at all, but I enjoy a salad pretty much with anything and or by itself. Number 10, rolls. Even if your dinner menu is already 
bountiful, full of, when I say bountiful, I mean, you just have tons of dishes. Rolls have a key part to play in Thanksgiving dinner. They are a beautiful and soft vehicle to clean your plate and are sought after because of the buttery and flaky texture. Again, it depends on what type of rolls you get. You can get the store-bought rolls. You can buy the Pillsbury dough in the can and, and make your own rolls. You can make them from scratch, doesn't really matter. You can have potato rolls, it doesn't matter. Rolls are essential. Now, me personally, I love to just, you know, eat my rolls because I'm not a big bread lover either. Slice it in half, put some butter on it, honey, and keep it moving. Number 11, apple pie. Homemade apple pie is a staple on Thanksgiving tables that you just cannot skip. I love apple pie as well. Oh, but I'm getting ready to come to, to the coup de gras. I'm getting ready to come to it, y'all, because you think I've forgotten, but I have it. And number 12, classic pumpkin. I love apple pie. Don't get me wrong, but I prefer pumpkin pie. Oh, my goodness. And it's so funny because a lot of people are like, oh, my goodness, you eat that? Oh, I love it. So just like apple pie... Pumpkin pie is a dessert that you absolutely can't skip. Most people have a slice of both of them. Now, I know people that say, oh, honey, we don't do nothing but apple pie. I, ha I know people that say they don't do anything but sweet potato pie. And some people that say they don't, they don't do anything but pumpkin. Honestly, you can have all three and let your guests decide which one they want. Me personally, like I said, I'll take pumpkin pie any day of the week. Not that I don't like sweet potato apple, but give me pumpkin pie, okay? So we're going to do a quick recap and I'm going to let you be. So I talked about the 12 classic Thanksgiving food items that are a must-have for Thanksgiving. And we, I talked about number one being turkey. Roast or, roasted or fried, doesn't matter, but turkey is a staple for Thanksgiving. Number two is a ham. Some people prefer the ham over the turkey. Some prefer the turkey over the ham. And some people have one of each. Number three, stuffing and or dressing. Number four, mashed potatoes and gravy. I told y'all, give me the mashed potatoes. You can keep the gravy. Number five is turkey gravy. Again, you can make it from scratch or you can buy it in a can. Number six, cranberry sauce. Oh, when I tell y'all... I already told you, but I love me some cranberry sauce. I eat it all year long. As a matter of fact, as of the date that I'm recording this podcast, I actually had some cranberry sauce last night with my dinner. Okay, don't judge me because I don't judge you. Number seven, sweet potatoes and or yams. Again, it depends on, they're both root vegetables, but it just depends on what you like best. Number eight, your vegetable size and that can be anything that you want whatever vegetables you like have it again I'll, I'll take some corn and some string beans mixed vegetables and i'm good some people like cabbage with their thanksgiving meal it really depends on you and then number nine i talked about salads salads comes in so so many different types out there Again, it depends on what you have. I mean, what you like best. Number 10 is the rolls. You have to have rolls. They can be store-bought or they can be homemade, but you definitely have to have rolls. And number 11, I mentioned apple pie. And number 12, the classic pumpkin pie. Now, you know what? I realized didn't make this list. And I actually did some research to find out what most people have on their table. I didn't... Um, 
Well, you know what? I didn't say that because that would go under your vegetable sides. I'm right. No. Well, I guess it could. And that is honorable mention macaroni and cheese. Some people have to have macaroni and cheese on the dinner table for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So again, you guys, it, there is no right or wrong way to do things. It's all about what it is that you like. That's it. That's all. So hopefully something that I said just makes you think about what you're going to have for your Thanksgiving meal this year. If you haven't already started thinking about it, you might want to because the time is getting close. Not that I'm rushing it. I'm just keeping it real because time is moving pretty swiftly. So if you're new to watching, listening to my, I keep saying watching, listening to my podcast, I want to say thank you so very much for joining me. So glad to have you here. I put out a podcast every Saturday and I think I keep saying watching my podcast because I've actually been toying around with doing my podcast so that you can see me as I'm filming still thinking about that but this if this is not your first rodeo welcome back you guys so glad to have you back I missed you and I'm glad that you decided to tune in as we talk more about being thankful and Thanksgiving as a whole this month I need you all to be sure to subscribe and support my podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated and you can do so for as little as 99 cents a month. There's a button somewhere on the platform that will allow you to do that. It can be a one-time thing or it can be an ongoing thing. Either way, I'm very appreciative as it allows me to continue doing what I love doing, which is giving you all a podcast every week. Now go out there and be great because great is calling you and great is calling me. Until next week, take care. Hi and welcome back to another Elevator Talk with Michelle podcast. For the time that is ours to share, I want to talk about 20 Thanksgiving movies to watch this year. So when it comes to holiday movies, Christmas gets the lion's share of love. Let's just keep it all the way real. And yet, what is Thanksgiving if not a gold mine for comedy, family conflict, kitchen fails, and big screen worthy blunders? So in honor of this year's celebration, I have put together a list of some of the best Thanksgiving movies to watch this month, especially after consuming a ton of turkey, ham, stuffing, and mac and cheese. But the only activity we feel like doing after eating our second and third and sometimes fourth piece of pie is sitting in front of the TV and enjoying quality entertainment with family and friends. So you guys, let's jump right on in. So number one, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Come on now, you are not in the holiday season if you do not watch this movie. It came out in 1973. This 25-minute animated film tugs on our heartstrings the way only a true classic can. Watch Charlie Brown learn the meaning of Thanksgiving alongside the motley crew that is the beloved Peanuts gang. Jimmy Aarons, Todd Barbie, and Christopher... Defira star with Bill Melendez and Phil Roman as co-directors. Number two, Dutch, came out in 1991. So before his modern family days, Ed O'Neill starred in a funny Thanksgiving movie about a guy trying to appease his girlfriend by driving her son from Atlanta to Chicago in time for the holidays. Ethan Embry, Jo Beth Williams, Christopher McDonald, 
Ari Myers and Elizabeth Daly star in the film. And it it's uh, it reveals in the early 1990s charm. Number three, Planes, Trains and Automobiles came out in 1987. This John Hughes era classic centers on a road trip to Chicago gone terribly wrong. The star studded film, which includes Steve Martin, John Candy. And let's just stop right there, because with the two of them, you know that it's going to be funny. Layla Robbins and Kevin Bacon will definitely put any hellish holiday travel experiences into perspective. So number four, Home for the Holidays came out in 1995 with a stacked cast of celebrities including young Robert Downey Jr. and Dylan McDermott. This movie will make you feel better about your own family's dysfunction. Believe us, your clan has nothing on this group of misfits. Holly Hunter, Annie Bancroft, and Charles During also appear in the Jodie Foster directed film. Number five, Free Birds came out in 2013. This is one to watch if you've got little kids running laps around your living room post-turkey. Lull them into a calmer state with this animated buddy comedy with voice performances by Owen Wilson, Woody Harrelson, Amy, something that starts with a P that I cannot pronounce, and George Taki. There's plenty for adults to appreciate here as well. Number six, Miracle on 34th Street. Oh my God, y'all, this is such a good movie. And it came out in 1947. Although it has come to be known as a Christmas favorite, this story actually opens at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City with a department store Santa Claus claims to be the real thing. A doubtful six-year-old Susan, played by Natalie Wood, discovers that dreams do come true if only you believe. Number seven, The Oath, came out in 2018. Chris, played by Ike Barinholtz, and Kai, played by Tiffany Haddish, their dysfunctional relationship is put to the test when they refuse to sign a loyalty oath to uh, to the president. Their lack of cooperation results in an error, interesting dyna- a family dynamic do- during the Thanksgiving dinner. This movie, I can honestly say I've never seen. Number eight, A Family Thanksgiving came out in 2010. All hell breaks loose when Claudia, played by Daphne Zuniga is pressured by her sister into baking a homemade pie for Thanksgiving. The comical plot will make you think twice about assigning gender roles during the holidays. Number nine, The House of Yes came out in 1997. It's Thanksgiving Day set. The movie is set in 1983 and Marty, played by Josh Hamilton, is preparing to introduce his fiancee, Leslie, played by Tori Spelling, to his less-than-average family. The sexual innuendos and eerie comments will make your in-laws appear like a walk in the park. Number 10, Garfield's Thanksgiving came out in 1989. Just because he's, he's a lasagna lover doesn't mean Garfield, voiced by Lorenzo Music, is opposed to indulging in a juicy turkey. Join the animated cat as he attempts to cook Thanksgiving dinner alongside 
John and Odin. I remember John was the guy who owned, uh, who, John was the adult. And of course, Garfield's a cat and Odie was the dog. Number 11, an old fashioned Thanksgiving came out in 2008 based on the short story by Louisa May Alcott from Little Women. This movie, this moving flick tells the story of a widow named Mary, um, played by Helene Joy and her three children. Mary tries to host a noteworthy Thanksgiving for her family, despite the fact that she can't afford to put turkey on the table. Number 12, National Lampoon's Holiday Reunion came out in 2003. So if you think your family is dysfunctional, just wait until you meet the Griswolds. The conservative family travels to Idaho, travels to, Idaho to spend the holidays with their free-spirited relatives and hilarity ensues. Number 13, The Ice Storm, came out in 1997. With an ice storm, when an ice storm hits during Thanksgiving break, a small town is forced to confront its neighborly issues, including affairs and broken relationships. Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, Sigourney Weaver, to Tobey Maguire, Toby Maguire, and Elijah Wood star in this movie. Number 14, Funny People, came out in 2009. After being diagnosed with leukemia, a movie star named George Simmons, played by Adam Sandler, returns to his stand-up comedy roots. If George's Thanksgiving toast doesn't inspire you to appreciate the holidays, honey, then nothing will. Number 15, Grumpy Old Men, one of my favorite movies, came out in 1993. If you think you've dealt with your fair share of frenemy experiences wait until you watch this classic thanksgiving movie about two neighbors competing for the attention of a lucky lady jack lemon and walter Matthau irrefutably prove your rivalries are mild at best <laughs> number 16 soul food again another favorite came out in 1997 the title itself already suggests that it's a great choice for post Thanksgiving entertainment, although you might want to watch this one after the kids are asleep. So in the movie, which stars Vanessa Williams and Vivica Fox, a family struggling to continue their 40-year tradition of Sunday family dinners when the matriarch falls into a coma. Great movie. Number 17, Annie came out. In, this is the one that came out in, in 1982. It may not be a movie about Thanksgiving, but it'll probably have the entire family singing tomorrow faster than you can say pumpkin pie. Join the happy young character as she embarks on new adventures with her dog, Sandy. Number 18, The Turkey Bowl came out in 2019. Businessman and former high school quarterback Patrick Hodges, played by Ryan Hansen, gets tricked into returning to his hometown for Thanksgiving weekend. When he arrives expecting a funeral, he learns that his old buddies need his help finishing a football game from 15 years ago known as the Turkey Bowl. Number 19, Love at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. This movie came out in 2013. Emily Rogers, played by Autumn Reeser, takes pride in coordinating Chicago's annual Thanksgiving Day Parade, but when the city hires a wealthy consultant to handle the finances, she worries that he will ruin the tradition. Can they work together to pull off a successful production? Hmm, you'll have to check and see. Number 20, she's gotta have it. 
This movie came out in 1986. Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It feels like a rather odd choice given that it follows a sexually liberated black woman who tries to juggle three different men. God bless her, because that's a lot. However, there's one iconic Thanksgiving scene where Nola, played by Tracy Camille Johns, invites all three of her partners over for dinner. That alone earns this classic a spot on the list. So let me do a quick recap and then I promise I'll let you be. So I talked about 20 Thanksgiving movies to watch this holiday season. So number one, I said the Charlie Brown, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Y'all, that's a classic. You have to watch that one. Number two is Dutch. Number three, planes, trains, and automobiles. Number four, home for the holidays. Number five, Free Birds, and I'll leave all of these in, in the description box. Number six, Miracle on 34th Street. Number seven, The Oath. Number eight, A Family Thanksgiving. Number nine, The House of Yes. Number 10, Garfield's Thanksgiving. Number 11, An Old Fashioned Thanksgiving. Number 12, National Lampoon's Holiday, Re National Lampoon's Holiday Reunion. <laughs> Number 13, The Ice Storm. Number 14, Funny People. Number 15, Grumpy Old Men. Number 16, Soul Food. Number 17, Annie. Number 18, The Turkey Bowl. Number 19, Love at the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Number 20, She's Gotta Have It. So that's it, you guys. Hopefully, you will check out some, if not all, of these movies. This I'm going to say this holiday season, even though this was specifically about Thanksgiving. These are movies that you want to check out this holiday season, period. So if you're new to watching my podcast, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad you stopped by. Just know that I put out a new podcast every Saturday, so you can look forward to that. This month has been all about being thankful, and this wraps up my thankful series let's call it that my thankful series for the month so if you missed any of the podcasts please go back and to the first one which was I believe the 6th of November check that out and all the ones in between because I promise you will learn something new every week if this is not your first rodeo I want to say welcome back I missed you guys so glad to have you back Please be sure to subscribe and support my podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated and you can do so for as little as 99 cents a month, you guys. That's it. That's all. There is a link on here that you can click on that, that shows you how to do that. Always, if you're not sure, leave me a message and I can help you get through that. But anything that you can contribute is greatly appreciated. But even still, come back each week and check out another podcast nonetheless. Now, go out there and be great because great is calling you and great is calling me. You all have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the month and we will reconvene in December. Until then, take care.